Good day, everyone. This is your host, Dr. Kurdi. Thank you for joining us for a brand new episode of the GI Startup Podcast. Today's episode is really interesting. I'm really excited to speak to Asma Shokat, one of the world leaders in colon cancer screening research. Dr. Shokat is professor of medicine and population health at NYU. She's director of outcomes research and co-director of translational research education. Dr. Shokat got her GI fellowship from Emory University and an MPH from Johns Hopkins after graduating from Aga Khan University. I will be chatting with her about her role as an advisor for Iterative Scopes, which uses artificial intelligence in colon cancer screening. I will also be chatting with her about the different roles that physicians can play in the industry. All right, Dr. Shokat, thank you for joining us today. We are very, very happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for this uh, podcast and to be here. Thank you so much. Wonderful. All right. So Dr. Shokat, I mean, you're world famous. You've done a great amount of research in colon cancer screening. You've uh, written or uh, been featured in a bunch of different guidelines. You're an extremely successful gastroenterologist, I would say. Tell us your story, you know, how, wh- wh- where did it start and, and how did you end up here? Oh, thank you so much. I have a passion for research and clinical science, just like probably yourself and a lot of our colleagues listening out there. And um, I actually decided I would do a degree to actually learn how to do research. So I did a a master's in public health and a postdoc at Johns Hopkins. And I started thinking about what are some of the topics in medicine that could really benefit from more research as well as kind of a population level approach where we're just not treating individuals coming to us in clinic, but we're also thinking of ways to reach the population out there. And cardiology and GI were two of my top uh, choices. And the more I thought about it, the more I saw a potential for colon cancer screening. We knew so much, yet there wasn't enough being done. So there were a lot of gaps uh, in knowledge plus application of what we already knew, which is that screening is beneficial. It has long-term benefits, yet adherence was poor. And there's a lot that we didn't understand about the pathway to progression to colon cancer. So I took that as probably what I wanted to focus on and embarked on this journey and wanted to do GI and uh, cancer prevention and kind of geared my training towards that, did a whole bunch of other projects, which is what I encourage everybody listening to do is don't just pigeonhole yourself until you've experienced and tried out different things. You really can't tell what you might really enjoy and gravitate towards. And anything that you're going to do long-term needs to have three elements. You need to be passionate about it or care about it, or it needs to kind of get you excited because you're going to do it a lot or think about it a lot. So it better be something that you enjoy. Second, it has to be something that is realistic and fits with your life and everything else put together. And third, is it something that you could see yourself doing in 20 years or 30 years? If the answer is yes, then that's probably a right field. So uh, GI was, had all those features for me and uh, colon cancer prevention, colonoscopy was up and coming, understanding who it benefits, how it benefits, are we doing it the best we can and what else can we do 
is uh, truly what, what got me launched. And I feel like we're just barely scratched the surface. Nice. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I love how you kind of put it in three things, three criteria, let's call them, of, of what you want to do, passion, and the fact that it doesn't clash with the life that you want to lead then that you can see yourself doing it in 20 years or 30 years, because that's probably what you're going to do. And then I think it's really great that you acknowledge that it's okay for people or for budding physicians to dab into different areas in order for them to find their passion. Because the old school teaching is, oh no, pick one thing, focus on it, and that's it. Or or you need to be more goal-oriented early on in your career, which can be very difficult. I think it's much better advice to tell, you know, medical students, maybe rising residents to kind of, you know, dab around, find find something that you are really passionate about, like you said, and, and that you think you can do for the next 20 years or so. That's really good advice. I think that that's amazing. All right. So our podcast is focused on innovation, technology. One of the reasons why we wanted to have you here is to talk about your role as an advisor in Iterative Scopes. So for those who don't know out there, what is Iterative Scopes? What, what do they do and what kind of company is it? Yeah, thank you. So about uh, four years ago is uh, when I uh, officially got involved. I've had a deep interest in innovation, particularly up-and-coming technologies, which gastroenterology, as you know, is a field that really lends itself very nicely to. And the, the big aspect there is not just making our daily life more efficient and more effective through innovation, but what it can do for the rest of the world that doesn't have enough resources. I grew up in Pakistan. I've uh, visited other countries that are very resource strapped. So if technology or innovation could help them in any way, whether it's training, whether it's technique uh, or it's cost, then it would truly be a win-win for all of us. So in this space, um, particularly in GI, as we know, artificial intelligence has so many roles and applications now. So in GI, it has... Uh, you know, several different areas where it applies very nicely. And one of those areas is colonoscopy. We know colonoscopy is operator dependent. And we also know there's a lot of variation in how endoscopists perform colonoscopy or endoscopy in general. And uh, individuals with poor performance also have, uh, is, it's associated with um, poorer outcomes long-term, such as post-colonoscopy colon cancers or complications. So um, again, AI has great potential there. If there was a way to reduce that operator variability and um, make our everyday life easier in the process, then I think we benefit patients and we benefit the field as a whole. But more exciting than that is its potential that if these technologies could go to developing uh, countries where there aren't as many trained endoscopists or Uh, gastroenterologist or endoscopy centers, could they use this technology to really um, change their everyday practice? So in an area where there isn't a gastroenterologist for hundreds of miles, could this tool help that primary care physician who wants to do, say, an upper endoscopy in their clinic and perhaps has the equipment, could this help them get better at what they're trying to do, which is detect, say, gastric cancer or ulcers? And so that was very appealing. Um, I met the leadership uh, at, uh, of Iterative Scopes um, about four years ago at DDW, actually. 
And we started talking about solutions for the world um, in terms of AI and what it can bring. And that was a very exciting venture. Um, again, there's a lot of need to do the right studies and do them well so that we get the results that we can truly hang our hat on instead of, you know, instead of criticizing those studies, let's help them get to be the best study so that the provider is the best evidence that we can uh, then get behind and say, this is something that, you know, we support because the it was rigorously studied and it meets the outcomes that we think are important. Um, so that's how the partnership uh, started. And I became a consultant for them, essentially uh, proposing and designing a clinical trial, what that would look like, which population are we after, what outcomes do we care about, and how would we structure it so that it is meets the most rigorous standards and it gets us the answers that we want. So we embarked upon this journey and um, it's it's been very fruitful since then. Obviously, we had input from a lot of other experts uh, nationally and internationally. Um, and then, you know, the more um, minds that come together, the, the better the product is because you get all that more input in refining uh, your idea. So then throughout this process, we developed what would look like, what the clinical trial would look like and all the different steps, randomized, concealed allocation, blinded, and then what the outcomes are that we care about and then embarked upon it and made sure that it was the best study possible that we could do. Awesome. I absolutely love that. I, I love how you leveraged your experience in, in order to get the best outcome because as physicians, we, we always know that our duty is, is first and foremost to our patients. Um, and a lot of the times when we interact with new technology or with innovation that is coming from a certain company, our, you know, our tendency is to look at their studies and criticize them, like you said. But it much more, it's much more fruitful and much better for our patients if we can actually partner up with them and show them how it's supposed to be done appropriately. In, in such a way that it is actually better for our patients um, in the long run. That's, that's amazing. Absolutely. So, yeah. And on. I see these newer companies uh, are actually getting smarter about this. So they realize that them coming up with a design or outcomes only gets so far, but they should truly talk to clinicians like ourselves that are in the trenches that do this every day and have a lot of time to think about this. Um, to really seek input on what do you think is the best design or what do you think is the outcome that's most important to you or to your patients. And so that's uh, truly important for any, any uh, company, either startup or even large scale uh, to start. That's great advice for the entrepreneurs out there is get in touch with physicians early, start working with them, partner up with them and let them show you kind of how to help your patients in the best way and at the same time have your product be usable by physicians and user-friendly for physicians and, and meet the standards, I think is, is one of the most important things is meet the standards of physicians because our standards may be higher than what people outside of medicine are used to. Um, so that, that's wonderful advice. So you mentioned one of the things that you were doing with Iterative Scopes was designing clinical trials, helping them with research. What other roles have you had or have you had any additional roles with the company? Right. So I'm um, a scientific advisor, also trying to uh, give them good direction on what makes sense or where there's a need. 
So for instance, as they think about um, branching into other ideas or areas, what other areas would lend themselves really nicely? So bringing those ideas and uh, kind of planting the seed so that it could then um, proliferate into maybe a trial for inflammatory bowel disease or liver cancer or imaging for the small bowel or upper GI tract um, has, has been another one of the roles. The third role is networking, connecting them to like-minded individuals. You know, nobody does this in vacuum. So saying, hey, you know, uh, you should, um, uh, or involving some of my colleagues and other um, centers that I um, hold in esteem and saying, hey, we should bring, you know, these partners in and talking to those partners and making those connections um, so that everybody understands, you know, what the expectations are and the goals are aligned. Yeah, that that sounds incredible, and and it sounds like you're you're adding a lot of value to them, you know, as as a company, and you know the the question that always arises when you're adding value is what kind of value are you getting back? Are you getting back any type of compensation for you know leveraging your experience, your your rolodex, in kind of helping them out with their journey? Right, and I'm I'm not very savvy in that regard, but there are definitely opportunities if uh, physicians do want to explore them. For us, it was getting funding for our medical center, and then we were also able to uh, successfully get a data coordinating center. So then there's you know two separate pieces that kind of have a, a firewall between them. There's the clinical trial center as well as the statistical uh, coordinating center which basically created the randomization scheme, uh, the data collection, and um, is separated from uh, everything else. And so that ensures that the study is high quality, done rigorously with colleagues and methods that you trust, but that also brings value to you because you know to your institution, then you're very uh, critical in making those connections and getting those uh, contracts so yeah, so I got uh, the grants at our institution and then it allowed me to network. Um, so I met you know, other colleagues uh, through the network. Some I knew, some I didn't know very well. Um, so in the process, I think you expand your networks which in the future will lead to other opportunities. Wonderful, wonderful, that's, that's really great. And you know, it, it, just like you said, you know, the, the value can be experience, it can be um, networking, it can be meeting like-minded people and not necessarily, uh, you know, compensation or, or value does not necessarily have to be monetary. It mm-hmm. can come in, in a lot of different, different ways. So, you know, participating in, in this, this, this experience, you said four years ago is, is when you met them. Over the past four years, what has this experience taught you? Um, it's taught me that, uh, um, industry and innovation uh, are not all evil there and good clinical research is not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like we said, instead of throwing stones at uh, these studies, we should actually try to help them uh, do the best study possible so that um, they're trying to bring products that we want for our patients. So why not make this a partnership? Uh, I've also found that everybody is very upstanding and very um, straightforward. There's not a lot of red tape or, you know, stuff that happens that there, that's kind of a black box. 
So I, I think I've managed to kind of demystify the black box and understand that, you know, these are very transparent processes and interactions. And I've also found that they're as enjoyable as, say, interacting with colleagues or um, networking with your own uh, peers. Um, so I, I would say that uh, it should it should definitely be vetted very carefully and the roles and expectations should be pretty clear. But by and large, it can be, you know, a very um, successful and uh, fruitful um, relationship. That's wonderful. I, I love that. And I love that you touched upon my, my next question, which basically kind of revolves around the physician relationship with the industry. And a lot of the time we have to tread extremely carefully when we deal with the industry because of conflicts of interest, because of sometimes, you know, some people can go really far in dealing with the industry that they lose some of their respect and influence in the field because uh, people can see them as uh, kind of maybe getting, I, I don't want to use this word lightly, but getting maybe a little corrupted or something like that. And so it, it becomes very difficult for physicians to, to interact with the industry. And at the end of the day, you know, the industry is, is what makes the tools that we use in order to help our patients. So if you think about everything that we use every day as gastroenterologists, from scopes to everything else, including medications, it's all made by the industry. And sometimes there are partners rather than our kind of, I don't want to use the term enemy, but, <laughs> but yeah. um, I feel like it's, it's very difficult for physicians. So what kind of advice do you have for physicians in their interaction with the industry? And what should that be like um, in, in, your, in your opinion? So I think physicians should not shy away from it. I think it's a great partnership if done properly. So things to do, um, investigate, have a lot of meetings, understand the expectations, understand the value proposition, what it brings to you, what it brings to the company, uh, what the timelines are, and I can't emphasize setting expectations from the get-go. And it could very well be consulting fees or stock options if people are interested in that um, direction. But the upfront work will pay dividends in the end. What not to do, don't be a ghostwriter. Don't let them use your name uh, for stuff that you have never seen or um, have no part in because you know what the entire community can can see that and that's just not a great career trajectory and second uh, again don't put your name on anything that you haven't approved vetted are confident or can stand behind so one of my mentors always used to say never write a word that you can't defend you know when you're writing a paper well same goes for this relationship uh, don't put your name on anything that um, again, you haven't had an uh, active role in or don't understand completely or haven't partnered to the extent that your contribution rises to the level um, of that. And so if you do it for the right reasons, then I think it truly is a great uh, relationship. Great. So basically do a lot of vetting and be very careful what they use your name for. And I think, you know, that that is great advice because you know, just like you said, as a community, we are extremely, extremely good at finding flaws and, and we'll be able to pick up on it if, if you're ghostwriting, like you said. So, <laughs> so that yeah, or using a canned advice. set of slides, right, yeah. where you're just the mouthpiece 
And people can see, people can tell that the slides were made by you or were they totally canned. Now there can be a combination uh, and you can always acknowledge and say this slide came from you know, this person or this company, but just be honest and upfront about all of that. And that again, that transparency will help you um, much, much more in the end than, than you can ever imagine. Wonderful. So transparency, vetting, um, and the, you know, being, being very careful about what you put your name on. So really great advice. And then, you know, we talked about being a, a physician consultant for a company. We talked about being a scientific advisor. What other roles in your experience have been available for physicians to play in the industry? Well, a lot of companies now have investor-initiated research proposals. So you can actually pitch an idea to them. It may not be on their radar. And they might actually be willing to not just give you the data for it, but provide you funding uh, to do it. I know many companies that are putting out these RFAs. So if you're interested in that space, either you know send them an email or just browse on their website. They're putting up this information, how you can essentially do research using their data um, and even funding from them. So that's another great um, relationship. Uh, the other way to interact uh, might be if uh, you have an idea and you want the company to develop it, uh, that's another great conduit. I know some friends of mine that have come up with ideas for catheters or innovations or things they use every day. And then they've gone back to these companies and said, hey, how about, you know, we develop this? And it's, it's yielded some really fruitful results. And hopefully, you know, you'll get to have some of those people in your later podcasts. Yeah. But that's another great way. If you have an innovative idea and, you know, you want to take it to the next step, uh, if the company is honest and good, they'll actually help you with the, uh, uh, intellectual rights and essentially patenting that idea and then developing it into a prototype, which is very exciting and truly, I'd say, you know, like a, a, a career milestone for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, you know, it, just having to deal with things like intellectual property and, and, and licensing and all that, these are not things that we're very good at as physicians. It's, <laughs> we're not trained to do this. And so finding partners that can actually help you out with that is, is essential and, and really helpful. So, you know, touching on this, since we um, brought it up, you know, a lot of academic institutions will have very strict rules about intellectual property for uh, faculty um, that are working in, in these academic institutions. The VA has very, very strict policies in that regard also. And then how, how do you manage that in particular or have you had have you ever had experience in dealing with this particular part and uh, how, how do you think physicians should go about managing that right so i would say first and foremost check with your institution and if you work at multiple institutions check with all of them because technically they own anything you do uh, in some respects so again this is where proactive kind of seeking at counsel and I found the, the legal counsel to be very, very helpful. And this isn't the first time they've encountered these questions. They come up all the time. So they kind of know exactly what, and you can discuss your particular case. They'll tell you exactly how it should be done. And then it could even be documented. And then you're in the clear. Then you're kind of following the rules. So always follow the rules. You do not want to end up on the front page of the newspaper for the wrong reasons. We've certainly seen that also. Um, and... 
um, also, you know, they'll advise you on conflict um, uh, management. Yeah. So, uh, so that's first and foremost. And then I've seen their advice kind of varies based on your level of involvement for scientific consulting. You know, there's just kind of the conflict of interest uh, declaration and then resolution and making sure that anything that you do, you declare that, and then they can weigh in on it, whether that's appropriate or not. With intellectual property, it gets a little trickier because many universities can actually help you patent some of this. In fact, some of them have offices uh, of their own uh, that help with um, patenting. Um, So then you kind of need to do your due diligence in understanding what they can help you with versus what you want to do on your own and the permissions for all those different steps. And I haven't gotten to the point where I've needed to, you know, um, have intellectual property. Uh, But, you know, during some of my trials, both the VA and the university did ask, hey, is this something that could lead to a patentable technology or are you interested in that? And you can certainly say no, but if I had said yes, then I would then tell them that that is my plan. And then I think it would be okay. And I know of colleagues at the university that um, the university has helped them patent their technology and then help them actually develop it. So that's another great conduit to moving moving your great idea or your innovative uh, technology forward is getting the university's help to help you patent it and then make, making sure that the arrangement is something you understand and something you are okay with, and then having you know their support behind you. Yeah, that is wonderful. Because you mentioned kind of two pathways, and one mm-hmm. of them is is going to the industry directly. The other is going to universities, and and you know I, I think you would have to check before going to the industry directly with the university mm-hmm. about you know what what things you need to do. And then, like you mentioned, most universities will actually have a developed maybe um, innovations in technology or innovation licensing offices uh, that will have experience with this um, and and can kind of help you navigate a little bit. All right. So, you know, you seem to have had a a, a decent amount of experience with this, you you know, your own experience and interacting with a lot of different colleagues have had um, a lot of experience in in dealing with the industry and in, in, you know, playing different roles um, in the industry. Putting that in, in perspective and keeping that in the back of your mind, say that you were able to meet Asma from her residency years or Asma as a fellow, what kind of advice would you give her moving forward? The advice would be not to sell yourself short or not to compromise on ideas just because you think, oh my goodness, I could never achieve that or that would take too long or that's just not uh, something I could do. So um, again, if you're passionate about an idea, um, truly you'd be surprised how just by being persistent and staying at it, you can actually uh, get to where you wanna be. The second thing is reach out more. I was very timid and shy. And at that time we didn't have social media. So it was very intimidating for me to reach out and find mentors or collaborators. Um, And later I realized that was just my own hang up. I could have reached out to individuals. And even if they don't know me, um, most people are perfectly fine hearing your idea, giving you advice, um, helping you if they can. Um, And I just did not do that. So I would do those two things much, much more proactively 
and um, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fantastic advice. And I, I did have, I believe that that issue that I was never really proactive until I, I started thinking about things in, in, in the same way that we think about them in medicine. It's a, you know, risk versus benefit and anything, anything that has low risk, but high potential benefit is something that I started just doing. And, and I think that that is really, really great, great advice for, for um, everybody out there who's trying to make up and, you know, make their careers, because just like you said, reaching out to mentors or other people, the risk of reaching out is, you know, virtually non-existent. You, mm -hmm. you, you, you don't risk anything. You don't lose anything, but the potential benefit is, is amazing. And that's why, mm -hmm. You know, anything like this, anything that has low risk and, and high potential benefit, I think that, you know, is, is a great thing for people to, to go for. And as the risk increases, it's okay, I think, to kind of hang back and, and make sure that you have more information that you're ready before you go ahead and do it. But that's, that's great advice. I, I, I love that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there are a lot of other physicians out there that are really interested in technology, really interested in innovation. And we, we have discussed a lot of things that they could be that they could use for. Do you think there is any additional advice that, that you can think of right now that you can give them in to kind of help build their careers? Yeah, I would say also uh, start thinking about your next great idea. And how do you see your role? Some people like coming up with the ideas themselves and they need help, like we talked about, getting going down the intellectual property and patent pathway. Some people like kind of designing studies and uh, using something that is already out there for a new application. So see where you truly are passionate about which piece of it. And then proactively, then it's okay to reach out to not just colleagues, but even industry partners and say, hey, you know, we're a big clinical center, we would uh, love to get involved, or I have an idea, you know, I've been seeing your product, and I think it has great application in this kind of a population. So again, being uh, thoughtful about what, uh, what ideas you have, and chances are those are great ideas that people probably, you know, are not on people's radar, and uh, probably will think it's a wonderful idea, and then second, reaching out. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think, you know, you, you touched on, on uh, three main things that I think are absolutely brilliant. The first one is you can innovate by innovating, which is coming up with something that's not been produced before. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go the um, intellectual property and, um, and, and licensing and, and starting up a, something totally new. And then you can actually be an early adapter. And that's where you find technology that has already been developed, but not that many people are using it. There isn't enough data about it. And then you can actually be part of that innovation by being an early adapter. And then you can modify its use some way, mm -hmm. kind of adapt it for use in a, in a different way than it's been used before. And that's additional an additional way for you to innovate. And, and these are, you know... Pathways that people don't think about really when when we talk about innovation. So I think that that's that's really brilliant. Okay, so you know I think we we talked enough about <laughs> about innovation, about careers, and all that. I like to end these interviews with a little bit of uh, you know lighthearted questions. So uh, Dr. Shaukat, can you tell us something about you that others don't know, or maybe something that your friends may know but <laughs> other people don't know? Oh, interesting. Um, well, um, 
an interesting uh, fact about me is I have actually personally met and shook hands with uh, Lady Diana and Mother Teresa wow. in person nice. in flesh and blood. Actually, in the same year, 1997, oh, wow. I was on the student council at my uh, college in, in Lahore, Pakistan, where I grew up. Yeah. And it's a it's a very well-known uh, Christian college. So anytime a, a dignitary comes, they usually stop by our college for a visit. And then being on the student council, you know, I, I got to meet and greet them, uh, shower them with rose petals and shake their hand. So... Um, and then they they both uh, died in the same year also. Oh, wow. So that, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, really, that's really cool. Uh, I wish I could say something like that, but I, <laughs> I've, I've never really met any famous people. And I'll tell you, Lady, Lady Diana was taller in person that you would ever guess from her pictures. She oh, was wow. very tall. And Mother Teresa was shorter than you could ever imagine from her pictures. I mean, in the pictures, you know, she she is a, she was tiny, but she was very very small. <laughs> I remember thinking about that at the time. That's really funny. Um, okay, so since we're talking about funny, tell us the funniest story um, that you've had or on your journey, or one of the funniest stories. Um, well, I, I think as an immigrant in this country, everybody has, you know, a lot of very uh, interesting and funny experiences and stories. And um, one of my funniest uh, uh, stories is I was in Chicago and um, I noticed that the doors open all by themselves, you know, the automatic doors. And that was something new to me. So then I would stand in, in front of a store before walking in. And then I just assumed every place had these automatic doors. So then I went to Minneapolis and I walked right into a glass door. <laughs> and you can imagine the scene unfurling where you know, this girl's passed out right outside the front door and everybody just runs to see if she's alive and if she's okay. So just your ego's hurt at that point. Luckily I was okay. <laughs> that's really funny. That's, that's really, really funny. All right. Um, tell us, what's your favorite book? So one of my um, favorite books of um, that I've read recently is by Oprah Winfrey. And it's um, called um, uh, What Happened to You? And it's a recent book. I highly encourage everybody to read it. And it's a very insightful book about how much um, trauma everybody carries in different aspects of life and how that shapes the rest of their life and how we have to kind of acknowledge our past to be able to shape our future. So um, I thought it was, you know, a, um, a, a brilliant uh, book that, uh, that I recently read and very, very eye-opening. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a really great book. I'm uh, definitely gonna try and, and get that one. Um, and then what's your favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie is A Brilliant Mind. Um, oh, okay. Have you seen it? Is it A Beautiful Mind or A Brilliant Mind? A Beautiful Mind, mind yeah. Oh, yeah. A Beautiful Mind is an amazing movie. I love that. I one. thought that was so compelling. Um, it was just, it's just such a fascinating movie and just a fascinating uh, story that it's based on. And, you know, that's, that's, that's real life. And we just... Uh, forget that life has so many different kinds of uh, people and different personalities and um, how, you know, one man's brilliance 
can lead to a Nobel Prize, uh, yet it meets a DSM criteria for uh, a mental disorder. So very, very compelling. Yeah, such mm-hmm. such an inspiring story. I I, I love that movie, and uh, I think it, it was it was produced very well, and and, and uh, the acting was amazing. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's a, that's a great choice. I gotta say. Okay, so I think that's kind of the gist of everything um, that we wanted to address. Last thing is physicians out there that are interested in learning more about iterative scopes. What's the best place do you think for them to learn about that? I believe uh, they have a website and they also um, are pretty active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully in publications, there will be more coming out about the studies. But I think Twitter and their website are good ways of uh, finding more and uh, connecting with um, individuals there. Wonderful. And we'll add the website and the Twitter handle to the description in a podcast. And then just about AI in general, what do you think is the you know, best maybe review paper or best resource out there that uh, physicians can use to learn about AI and GI? Yeah, that's a good question. There's so many wonderful papers coming out. Yeah. And even I find myself, uh, you know, looking at uh, the next best resource and thinking, oh, this, this was a great guide. There's uh, ASGE has done several summits and uh, uh, workshops on uh, AI and its applications. And there's also stuff coming from WEO, World Endoscopy Organization, their cancer prevention side, about you know what AI looks like and uh, how we might see it um, from a more global perspective. So I'd say those two would be my um, you know my recommendations. All right, that sounds wonderful. Okay, Dr. Shoka, thank you so much for being with us. I really enjoyed this interview and uh, we'll hope to have you again in the future as well. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. And that concludes our third episode of the GI Startup Podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or requests, please don't hesitate to contact me personally. You can reach me at my Twitter or LinkedIn or even email. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It'll really help us out in creating additional content. Thank you and goodbye.